Well, good morning, everybody. I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite mornings of the year uh, because we're doing all that we're doing today. If you're a guest, this is a little bit of a unique Sunday. Uh, it's really a Sunday where we pause and we just try to notice for a few moments the activity of God in our story as a church. And so this is a great Sunday for you to be here if you're a guest, because you're going to learn a lot about us. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. But, but for all of us, we do want to pause and, and just kind of sit for a minute in what God has done over the last 12 months and then think together prayerfully about what he might want us to do in the 12 months ahead of us. Uh, as I think about story, I, I actually thought about a story that Kimberly and I read to our kids when they were uh, little guys and gals, toddlers and middle school, kind of all in there. Um, it's called The Kingdom Tales. How many of you have come across that? Here's a little illustration from, from that. It's 30 years old now. So it's been, or I guess it was 30 years in 2013. So it's been around a while. It, it's this amazing epic sort of story, tales of the kingdom. So you kind of get the idea there, but it chronicles a conflict between two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is represented by enchanted city, which is led by, no surprise, the evil enchanter. And then Great Park is led by the one true king. And so the stories, it's three volumes, but you kind of follow these two orphans who make their way out of Enchanted City and find their way into uh, Great Park and are adopted into the family of the one true king. It is an awesome story. Parents, if you don't have that, I would highly recommend it. But it's interesting that it depicts this this amazing conflict between good and evil. And we get that, right? We enjoy uh, Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia, these epic tales of kingdoms in conflict. And yet I wonder how often we really live as if that conflict is real day in and day out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's great for cinema. It's, it's kind of entertaining, but... Do we really wake up in the morning thinking about being in the midst of that kind of conflict? And yet, if we read our Bible cover to cover, that's what it's about. It is about a conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the beloved son. There's two portraits. You've heard us talk a whole lot about the portrait of a connected life. But in the kingdom of darkness, there's a portrait there. You might call that the portrait of a corrupted life. And that's really what's happening in Enchanted City. That's what's happening in the kingdom of darkness. I mean, look at these descriptions. Far from God. Separated from God. Unaware. Like there's no story as a reference of redemption there's a great lack of awareness, isolation. You're not living in community. The person in this realm lives in independence, aimless, because there's no sense of purpose, 
mission. Like that God, my creator, made me for something. And then lastly, self-absorbed. See, if you're not connected outward with the mission, really the most you have to live for is yourself. And that's kind of a small thing to live for, isn't it? Then we look at the portrait of a connected life and you begin to see life, (laughs) life in the kingdom. Look, it's revolving around the gospel, whereas the other is revolving around guilt and shame. But, but you are connected upward with God and backward with a story that, that speaks of great significance, great direction, purpose. You live in community with a body. You exercise gifts that you didn't come up with, but God gave you for the good of his church and his mission. And then you do connect outward with the mission. You're able to orient your life around something bigger than yourself. There's no better way to live. So God has been waging war in the midst of these two kingdoms. And the interesting thing is he uses his people to get the job done. And for for today's message, I'm going to call those people insurgents. I love that word. It's, it's this presence of people that are surrounded by darkness, but show, as we heard earlier, a beacon of light. They're, they're the people that keep pushing in hope and peace and faith and love where all of those things are absent. Today, we're going to reflect upon what this divine insurgence has looked like at Fellowship Bible Church for the last 12 months and what it could look like in the next 12. Now, before I get to that, I want to uh, look at a picture of this conflict in Acts 18. So if you want to turn there, it's so funny. This was 2,000 years ago, but so many places where we can really identify with the kingdom uh, in its all its glory here. Uh, Chapter 18, verse one, here's what uh, Dr. Luke tells us about this part of the journey. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So if you've been with us, we've been studying Corinth since Vision Sunday last year. So don't forget all that stuff we've been talking about in Corinthians. Verse two, Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Paul was a tent maker. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that The Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. That's kind of funny, I think. It's just like God to put Paul right next door to the synagogue that he just left. Uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, 
together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. It's like this little snapshot out of the kingdom tales. But it's not a made-up story. It's real. This is a picture of God's kingdom breaking into the kingdom of darkness. And some reject it, but some embrace it. And some are transformed from a corrupted life to a connected life. A few observations just about this text. Um, I'm not going to drill down real deeply into it, but here's what strikes me. This is just a random collection of people. Did you notice that? So Paul is coming from Athens to Corinth. And when he gets there, he, it's like he bumps into this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, which are infamous throughout the rest of the New Testament. I mean, they are pillars of the early church. But he happens to run into them because they're tent makers. But, but he stays with them, not just because they're tent makers. But we know that they're followers of Christ. And that's what bound them together. And so as they're doing what they're doing as kingdom people in Corinth, Timothy and Silas show up. And where do they come from? They come from the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia know that Paul's there and he has needs, so they send gifts. Do you see how the kingdom is this ever-expanding thing that God is orchestrating to accomplish his purposes? So we see that these people have a spiritual affinity, not a social one. In other words, they're not together because of relational chemistry. They're together because of their spiritual calling. They have devoted themselves to a way of life. We talk about it as cultivating connected followers of Christ. That's what we talk about when we say our, our calling or our mission as a church. And here's what these people did. They put the calling at the very core of what they would do, and then they situated all of life around that. We kind of do the opposite, don't we? Don't we sort of situate our lives however it feels right to us, and then we try to cram a calling in there somewhere, see where we can fit it in? This is really challenging to think of orchestrating, coordinating, designing all of our life around a calling to be an insurgent, to be one who is disrupting the strategies and activities of the kingdom of darkness. That's what they were called to do, and that's what we're called to do. So that was in 50 AD. Let's shift into 2017 and 2018. Let's look at the activity of God in our realm for a few minutes. Um, God's been very kind to us in a lot of ways. Um, we have always said that God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And he's raised up some terrific new leaders in our midst over this last year. We just uh, commissioned a new elder, Brian Hogue. And the interesting thing about Brian and Priscilla is they came to this church, I wanna say it's like, Brian, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, something like that, it's been a while. And to just see how they have grown and matured and God has most definitely done a work in Brian's life to prepare him for this time. 
We just added uh, Miriam Walsh as a staff person, and her and her husband moved to Murfreesboro for uh, Tom's job. They found us, just landed here and plugged in. And what do you know? Miriam is such a huge blessing to our team and to the women of this church, a timely provision. We added two new residents to our uh, ministry leader residency program, Rochelle Vernaccio and Chris Teague. And it's so fun to see them contributing in some really beautiful ways to our staff team. And at the same time, God is developing some wonderful things in them to prepare them for future ministry. Uh, we launched a new ministry at MTSU last fall, our, our own college ministry. We've never had that before. And uh, pretty exciting to think about a campus with over 20,000 students and we get to be there. We get to be the kingdom of light in the kingdom of darkness right on that college campus. So some real provisions for leadership. When it comes to community, this has always been a, a real backbone of our church, but, but we're a church of small groups. We're not a church that does small groups, but this is kind of who we are. 366 of us are currently in a community group. That's almost 90% of our average attendance on a Sunday morning. That just blows me away. But it's really important for how we do church. Because what we're doing in here is we're encouraging one another, we're uh, singing over one another, we're praying together, we're getting into the word together. But listen, church happens in community, tight-knit community where you're eye to eye, you're, you're in a circle, you're talking about what God's doing in you and through you, your struggles, your victories, what you're praying about, where God's calling you, like all that stuff happens in those tight-knit conversations. And I'll tell you, if you're not in a community group, you're missing out. That's where God changes your life, is in those kinds of relationships. So we've got 28 groups, and then all of those leaders of those groups have a coach and we're trying more than ever. Chad is doing a great job leading this area, but just really trying to think about developing those leaders. And I hope if you're in a community group that you're praying for your leader because they really are. Their heart is to shepherd you in a, in a beautiful way and to do a good, good job. Thankful for those people and the, the commitment that they've made there. Thank you, Mike. It's great. Okay, next generation. Let's think about a whole other part of our church. This is kind of amazing to me as well. There are 300 young people represented from the nursery uh, all the way up to 12th grade. 300. And we are trying to be as intentional as ever about equipping them to know Christ and make him known when all of us old folks are gone. And it's happening. It's a beautiful thing. Let me just share a few things about what takes place in the borough and in FSM. Every single young person has a dedicated leader. There is somebody somewhere in both of those uh, parts of our church that knows that kid's name, that knows something about their family, that is praying for them and committed to engaging them, building a relationship and helping them to grow in their faith. That's pretty exciting to think about that. It's not, just, it's not just a mass of people. Very intentional. 
We're committed to small group experiences for those kids. So not just, we're not just doing community groups. They're kind of doing that as well in their uh, age group classes. They're getting biblical content week in and week out. We want them to know the scriptures. We want them to know the truth. But in addition to that, they're getting practical equipping, encouragement about how to apply the scriptures to everyday life. And obviously lots of opportunities as those kids are growing up and experience, experiencing all that life brings their way. And finally, they're getting a vision for kingdom influence. I love hearing Carrie and Benji talking about how they're casting a vision for being on mission with their neighbor, with their neighborhood friends, at their school or wherever they might go. I uh, came across a great little snapshot of uh, this happening in the borough, and I want to share it with you just real quickly. Um, we have a fourth and fifth grade class led by one of our elders, Art Snow. There's about 25 kids in there every week. And uh, Art has shared with me that he just absolutely loves being with those kids. And he said the reason he loves being with them is because he wants to be a part of making sure that they are equipped and emboldened when the day comes that they leave home and they either go to school or get a job, but they go out into the enchanted city, right? He wants to make sure they're equipped to live well, to be a light in dark places. Um, they do the regular curriculum that we have for our uh, borough classrooms. But in addition to that, they've begun to make it a regular practice to pray for each other. And it's not just the leaders praying for the kids, but the kids are praying for each other. He says the sweetest thing in the world is to hear, you know, little Sammy over here say, this is a prayer need that I have. And then to hear little Sally over here pray for him. Just a beautiful picture of community, life. And then in addition to that, these kids are being trained up. They're not gonna need seminary when they get out, of, uh, get out of their home. They are tackling some big stuff. Let me tell you some of these topics that they are studying, researching, and presenting to one another. Various arguments for the existence of God. I'll throw out a fancy word, the cosmological argument. How many of you guys know that? Well, the fourth and fifth graders do. They got that one. The reliability of scripture. Um, evidences for Christ's resurrection. What is the gospel? A description of heaven. Moral relativism. Fourth and fifth grade. And I love it because it isn't just a talking head telling them what to believe. These kids are literally going home with mom and or dad and they're sitting down and researching that stuff together and then they bring it back to their peers, to their classmates. And they stand up front and they share it. It's really, really awesome. They are growing. So thankful for guys like Art and other leaders that are back there. But that's body life. That's kingdom life. That's a beautiful testimony to uh, the insurgency that's taking place in and through Fellowship Bible Church.
I was also encouraged um, just in thinking again about our next generation ministries, a, a couple of things. One was there are actually some young folks now in our church. I say young, they're in their 20s, but they grew up in this church. They were little toddlers when they got here. And they have been walking in this community of faith for all these years. And not only have they hung around, but they're serving and they're leading. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It, it gives me a lot of encouragement when I think about the future of this church. And then in addition to that, there are some of you that have just stayed at it. And it's, it's a blast. The average number of years, we have a, a leadership team in the borough, they're called coordinators. They serve as a leadership team with Carrie. The average amount of time that those leaders have been in the borough serving, this is consecutive, is eight years. Eight years. Seven of the leaders back there have been over 11 years serving in that ministry. They found a place they have plugged in and they are doing a long obedience in the same direction, man. It is so, so good. Thankful for that investment. So leadership, next generation. In here, we've been studying the book of Corinthians. And it's really important that we get that we don't study a book just so that we can become real smart, Right? What we're doing is we're asking God to use his word to transform us so that we can be the kingdom of light out there, everywhere we go, everywhere God takes us. So we went through this amazing book about the body life of a church that was really struggling. We started by talking about division in a series we called Wedge, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, overcoming division, cultivating unity, so practical. Then we had a, a series in chapter seven called Greener. And we talked about tending relationships with the end in mind, seeing how vital our relationships are to the work of God in us and through us. Then in chapters eight through 10, we uh, did dethroned, overthrowing the God of self. Now listen, if we do get that, if God begins to do that work in us, there is a whole world full of people who literally are living for nothing more than themselves. And we can come alongside them, not in a condemning sort of way, but we can say, I get it. <laughs> I understand. Let me tell you what God's doing in me to shift my focus. Then harmony, chapters 11 through 14, together is better. We get to experience that week in and week out. Lynchpin, chapter 15, around the resurrection of Christ, the proof of our pardon. It's that one thing that we take with us everywhere we go. We can, we can invite the people around us to think about what is the anchor of your faith? Mine is the resurrection of Christ, and here's why. And then lastly, we uh, concluded it with CODA, connecting what we believe with how we live. It's been an awesome study, renewing our minds about the activity of God in a church that is following hard after him. They didn't do it perfectly. We don't do it perfectly. But man, it's been a great, great experience this last year to think carefully about how we do this, how we do church. Um, another area that's really fun to think about when we look back 
is the people that we've been able to serve. Uh, you'll hear us a lot of times talk about various ministries that we have in our church, and that's a wonderful thing, and we'll continue to do that. But I wanna, just for this morning, I just wanna focus in on the people. Not the labels, not the titles, not the, not the ministries, but the people that they're serving. Let me describe a couple of these folks that we've gone to over the last 12 months. Homeless women, some of them moms who just literally need a safe haven. And we've been able to be that for them. And it's, it's really both and. We, we meet a physical need, but then we also get to meet a spiritual need. We get to show them the love of the one true king. They get to experience that. We've gone to men whose choices led to incarceration, but who now know Christ and are by God's grace living free under the loving authority of Christ. And they don't have to sort that out on their own. They have some people who are coming alongside them, encouraging them, praying for them, challenging them, and helping them to get a vision for their life beyond just getting out of jail. Love that. Children in physically and spiritually impoverished regions around the world got a simple gift, a gift with no strings attached. And included with that gift was the greatest news that has ever been shared with humanity in all of its history. We, we don't know their names. We don't even know where they are, but we know that they got to taste of the kingdom, kingdom of God. Women who are facing unexpected pregnancy or the struggle of parenting as a single mom. Um, I know a little something about that. My mom was a single mom and she's one of my heroes. Uh, there was so much that she wasn't able to give me, but there was so much that she did. And the most important thing of all was that she never quit. And so these women, they come to our church and basically, in the simplest way, they're just saying, I don't want to quit. And so we get to come alongside them and go, okay, well, then we won't quit either. We'll go with you. We'll, we'll walk this journey with you. You don't have to do it alone. And the, the outpouring of love from this body on women who probably think they don't deserve to be loved is a beautiful thing. And I'm sure it delights the heart of God. There are courageous men and women who show up here week in and week out who are pursuing recovery in a very serious way and they are striving to lay aside every hindrance as the writer of Hebrews said and the sin that so easily ensnares us. That group is so inspiring to me. It's like, wouldn't it be great if a whole church did that? That we all kind of identified that place where we need to recover and then went after it by God's grace in a community of people. So we get to create space for those folks to walk in community around the purpose of recovery. Children from our own neighborhoods around the city, many of whom may have never heard of Christ or certainly had heard the gospel, they got to hear it this last summer. And some of them saw it, understood it, received it, and their lives are forever changed because of that. God's kingdom is on the move. Lastly, 
There are international students who show up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, temporarily to get an education at MTSU. And through God's orchestration, we get to cross paths with them. Many of our families get to serve them and and be a a place of, of home for them, away from home. And as a result of that, they get again a little glimpse of the kingdom of light. They get to hear about the one true king. Together as a church, we get to show and tell all of these people what it's like to live in Great Park instead of having to survive in Enchanted City. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What a privilege that we have. Lastly, I'll just remind us again that God has called us to the ends of the earth and we have some great partnerships around the world. There's a church and a pastor in Haiti that we're connected with and and I'm telling you, we're dreaming. We're just trying to think, how can God use our churches to to really encourage each other and serve together and uh, expand the kingdom in both places? In Sweden, uh, Lindsay Hendricks is there with Campus Crusade, with Crew. And uh, man, if you talk to anybody that's been to Sweden, they'll tell you it's, it's just, it feels dark. And yet, man, they are just circulating around that city, uh, just spreading the light of Christ everywhere they go. Rome, Italy, there's a church there led by Chris Hendricks. He and his wife moved there and... Uh, The interesting thing about this church is people are always coming and going. That can be really challenging for a church, you know, to have a congregation that changes every few years. It's like church planting over and over and over and over again. But they love it because they get to engage these people from all parts of the world, show them the love of Christ for a season, disciple them, help them to grow in their faith, and then send them on to wherever it is God's taking them. And they're going equipped. They're going able to play a part in God's kingdom. And then lastly, just recently, um, I'm sure they were the most surprised of all, but Matt and Tori Angel landed in Uganda to serve with uh, Amazima Ministries and a school there to work with orphans. I mean, there's just unbelievable ministry taking place. And now we've got a terrific relationship there It's going to be interesting to see what God does with us in that place and others. So pretty fun to think about the activity of God as he uses this this room of revolutionaries to uh, fight back the kingdom of darkness. So what's next? What are we looking forward to as a church Well, before I look at some of the details that we have, I want to go back to that passage in uh, chapter 18. And uh, it's interesting, after all that I just described, like God pulling all these people together and, and they're taking a stand with the gospel of the kingdom, they're not backing down. And then God is using them to bring even the head of the synagogue to Christ and his household. So amazing impact. Now look with me at verse nine. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Does that surprise you? This is Paul, the apostle, 
wrote all these epistles for us. I mean, God used him in powerful ways. He's seeing Corinthians coming to Christ. And yet the Lord says to Paul, don't be afraid, which leads me to believe that he must have been afraid. Then he goes on to say, go on speaking and don't be silent. Something was going on there. I don't know what it was. I mean, the guy had a rough life as a Christian. But the Lord is saying, go on speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you. Here's Paul, the apostle Paul, who saw Christ at his conversion. And the Lord is reassuring him with his presence. Notice that's where we get our courage from, to stand up, to stand against the darkness. It's nothing in you and me. It's not like we're just tougher than your average Christian. It's a deep awareness of the presence of God. That's what allows us to have courage, to speak, to resist the temptation of being silent. That's what makes the difference. Now, God makes a promise to Paul that we shouldn't apply to ourselves. This is limited by context to Paul, but, but God says, I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. So I don't want you to leave today and go, well, God promised Paul that nobody would ever attack him, that he'd never have any harm. I, I, I don't know why, but that was something very important for the Lord to say to Paul. What I do want you to notice is God promises protection, not extraction. So whatever the protection of God looks like in our lives, it's meant to keep us where we are and, and able to serve, able to speak, able to engage. And then lastly, just notice, the Lord says, hey, Paul, I have many in this city who are my people. Obviously, Paul doesn't know who those people are. And again, it's like the Lord is reminding him, this is my kingdom. I am the one true king. I'm the one who is working out this redemptive plan that you get to be a part of. And so just take heart. You just do your thing. You be faithful wherever I have planted you and know I've got many people I've got lots of stuff going on completely out of sight, but it's exactly what I intend. And it's gonna be a glorious day when we get to see all of what God was doing, even behind the scenes. So with that in mind, let's think about where God is taking us in the year ahead. Just as a, an aside, Murfreesboro has grown to about 140,000 people. Think about that. 140,000 people. Do you think there's some people that need to hear the gospel of the kingdom? That need to have some light in their life? Rutherford County has grown to 317 so let's just suffice it to say there's a lot of territory for us to cover. And as we think about this next year, I want you to know that the leadership of this church, we think of it as a strategic offensive. 
In the idea of warfare, there's times when you kind of hunker down and you set up a perimeter and you establish your base. It's, it's more of a defensive posture. But then the day comes when you start to push out, when you start to take the fight to the enemy and you begin to take back territory that once was theirs. So that's our mindset as we draw our attention outward with the mission. That's where we're trying to go. And everybody gets to play. There's not a person here that can't be a part of this. And you're gonna get an opportunity to personally grow and develop in your walk with Christ and in your involvement in the mission. So here's some very specific, practical things, ways that you can grow in the year ahead. You can grow in your understanding of gospel clarity. Now, we talk about the gospel. We throw that word around all the time. I wonder sometimes if we know exactly what we're talking about, but we're going to make sure that if you're at Fellowship Bible Church, you understand what the gospel is and what it isn't. And you're able to communicate that in a clear way. And this is making its way all the way down into the borough, as I mentioned earlier. Um, the leadership team there, it's interesting. We've been using a curriculum, uh, 252 Basics, for 12 years. And it's been terrific. Uh, Carrie has loved a lot of the features of it and just very encouraging to those kids. But the, the team as a whole came to Carrie and said, you know what, we just, we just need more. We just need more substance. We want more gospel. We want to engage these kids in a very deep and meaningful way. And so we're switching curriculums so that we can have gospel clarity. And the name of the curriculum is Gospel Project. That's a pretty good name. That works great. It's a three-year, and it'll recur, but a three-year chronological journey through the scriptures so the kids get the story in light of what it communicates about the gospel. And then they have three key values when they think about their curriculum. Jesus-centered, gospel-transforming, and missions-driven. That sounds pretty good for the next generation, doesn't it? So excited about gospel clarity. Then compassion for the lost you're gonna get an opportunity to gain more of the compassionate heart of God than you've ever had. Conversational confidence. You know, so often we won't engage people because we're unsure about what to say and when to say it and how to say it and all that kind of stuff. So we're just gonna talk practically about how do you engage people? Statistics, we're told to say, people wanna talk. They really do. They just don't want to be strong-armed into believing what you believe. So can you have a winsome conversation where it's literally, what do you think about that? Here's what I think about that. Oh, tell me more. It's just a conversation. And God moves into that place and does amazing things. Conversational confidence. Agility with your story. We are a church that connects backward with our story. And if you haven't, there is so much that you cannot bring to bear when you are talking to a neighbor or a coworker or a friend. But the, the better you, you know your story, the more you've thought about that, the better able you are to relate to them. And, the, and when you relate to them that way, they begin to believe, hey, you're just like me. You know what it's like to live life like I do. And I want to know what you've got. Can you tell me? 
It's a beautiful thing. Lastly, posture of prayer. Uh, I, I think we say it year in and year out, but people, we gotta pray. It, it's, just, it, it's just unthinkable that the people of God would strive to fulfill the purposes of God without the power of God. So we, we gotta get better at that. And it's not a performance thing. It's a, it's a desperation thing. <laughs> it's literally us coming to God going, I, I got nothing. If you don't move here, it's just flesh. So, posture of prayer. Now, here's some practical things that we're going to do to give you opportunity to grow in those areas. We're gonna study Jonah. We're already in it. We're gonna keep studying that. And we're gonna learn the compassionate heart of God if we haven't already begun to learn that. Uh, we're gonna do an outreach series right after Jonah and before Christmas. And that's really gonna be all about developing our competence as we really do strive to go outward with the mission. I think you're gonna love it. Very practical, encouraging, and challenging. Then our own Jeff Patton, the evangelistic linebacker. <laughs> He's awesome. Um, he is gonna visit every one of our community groups and just sit down with you and practically talk about how do you develop spiritual conversations? How do you engage an unbeliever? How do you uh, kind of field some of their questions? It's gonna be super, super equipping. Again, if you're not in a community group, you're missing out. Great training, great encouragement. Uh, beginning with Christmas Advent, we're gonna begin studying the Gospel of Luke. So we're gonna make our way through that gospel. We studied John uh, several years ago and we thought it was time to get back into that gospel story and see this kingdom conflict up close and personal. Uh, we're gonna promote focused engagement. One of our concerns is that we would, as we grow as a church, that we would have so much activity that we're just literally frantically all running around like a chicken with our head cut off. Activity is not the goal. Impact is the goal. And the only way to get impact is to focus. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let you know about all kinds of opportunities that are available to you, but you don't have to do them all. Honestly, we would love for you to choose one thing and just go, you know what? When it comes to being in the kingdom of light, this is what I'm gonna do and give everything you got to it and do it over time. And I think you'll begin to see some beautiful fruit as a result of that. So here's the way to think about it. Every single one of us, we're gonna be called to do three things. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. So we're gonna ask God, show us where we're supposed to go. We're gonna give, and we talk about financially, that's a part of the deal, it's not weird and wacky. It's just like, that's what we do as a community of faith. So we give, our giving goal for this next year is $20,500 a week. Last year, it was $18,500 a week. And this church responded to that, was faithful to that. We met every bit of our budget and then some. Beautiful. So we're going to set that goal for this next year. And with new resources, we get to expand. We get to take our influence beyond where we're currently uh, exerting it. And then lastly, of that pray, give, and go, we are gonna ask everybody in here to pick something. Give yourself to something. 
and see what God does because he'll do as much in you as he does through you if you'll just make yourself available. Uh, Lastly, we're going to talk about biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality. Uh, You may not have realized this, but one of the greatest ministry tools that you have at your disposal is your home. Here's a thought. What if every one of us began to view our front door as the entrance to the church? Like, here's a picture. What if every person that you meet came into our community through came into our community of faith through your living room. Like you just said, hey, this is a place, come in, we can talk, we can have a meal together, we can just discuss life, we can encourage each other, get to know. Like that's the gospel of the kingdom happening in real life. It's not a program, it's just life. I bet there's plenty of people that would love to sit down with you in your home and get to know you and get to know your story. So biblical hospitality, we're going to get into that, using your home as a tool. Then we have another ministry tool that we have uh, just adopted. We're launching it this weekend. And let me just say, I appreciate the patience of this church. I know that as leaders, we have probably frustrated the heck out of you with all of our different uh, communication platforms. And we got apps and websites and we got the city, we got planning center, we got all kinds of stuff going on. Listen, focus is the word. We are pulling it all into one ministry platform called Realm. It's called Realm. And basically, this is a way for us to accomplish the mission with great communication. And communication is absolutely essential. If we're not doing a good job talking to each other, We're going to have a real hard time talking to the people out there, right? So what's beautiful about this platform is it's a a place where we can share ministry stories and prayer requests with each other. We've we've grown accustomed to that, and uh, we're going to continue to be able to do that. It's a great place for uh, the leadership of this church to communicate with the body, either as a whole or in very focused kinds of ways. We want to make sure we're communicating with the right people at the right time in the right way. Um, This will enable you to talk to each other in whatever groups you're a part of. So certainly community groups, that's a space for that group to have conversation. Um, Ministry teams, that's a great place for you to have conversation, to encourage, to plan, coordinate, all of that. And then, uh, like, here's another cool thing. In the borough, if you have a child in the borough, you are automatically placed into the classroom group with other parents that have same-age kids. So if you have a third grader, you're in a group with other parents of third graders. That's pretty cool. Like, you can send them a quick message like, what in the world are you doing about this? Fill in the blank, right? And encourage each other, pray for each other. Another great opportunity for community. We will coordinate all of our events, all of our communication about activities that are taking place in the church. It will appear in realm, but you'll be able to not only get more information, but interact with that, register for stuff, pay for stuff, um, volunteer, uh, serve. You can do all of that communication on this ministry platform. And then finally, our uh, giving 
will also shift over to Realm. We were using a group called PushPay for a while, and that served a purpose, but, but this is great. We can literally bring everything together, including our giving in that context of Realm, and you'll have access to all of your records as you go about giving and as we uh, move forward in that way. So we want you, uh, we're gonna keep talking about this and we'll answer any kinds of questions you have going forward, but a great ministry tool. That's what this is. And our hope, honestly, is that all of us are on it. It's not, uh, I mean, Facebook's a great place to you know, post like what you ate and what your pets are doing and all that kind of stuff. That's totally cool. This is really not that, okay? This is a place where hopefully we can get some ministry done and advance the kingdom. So you'll hear more about that in the weeks ahead. I wanna finish by talking about, if you look at the bottom of your outline, traveling companions. Um, man, this is, such a, this is such a great concept as we think about Acts 18. You know, God is always putting people together and typically some of the people are further down the road than others and they get to be an encouragement to each other. Some of them are peers and all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. We are committed to encouraging you to have four relationships, four traveling companions as you go through the next 12 months. A Paul, a Barnabas, a Timothy, and a Nicodemus. They just represent four kinds of people in your life. A mentor, a peer, a protege, and a seeker. I wanna focus just for a second on the seeker because I think we sort of get the, it's great to have a mentor, it's great to have peers that we're walking with, and it's great to have someone that we're pouring into, but oftentimes the Nicodemus is left out. We don't ever quite get around <laughs> to getting that relationship established. So we're gonna encourage you to fill this out, like put names in these boxes and, and know that you're committing relationally to growing in these relationships. Um, with the Nicodemus, I, I feel pretty certain that the first conversation he had with Jesus wasn't the night that he came and uh, they started talking about being born again. I have a feeling that he probably had a lot of conversations with Jesus in the synagogue and what he learned was, this is a guy I can talk to. So he goes under the cover of night, but he comes with questions. That's what we want. We want all of us to have relationships with people who are still living in the kingdom of darkness, who have questions, and we want them to come to the conclusion that if they've got a question, they can come to us and we'll help them. No condemnation, no critique, no judgment. Just great conversation. I wanna give you an awesome example of this that I just heard about a week ago. And it's from one of our kids. Listen to this. We've got an eighth grade girl in our church and she felt prompted to reach out to some of her peers, some Barnabases, and she came to them and said, hey, what if we all got together and reached out to some younger girls who are transitioning into middle school and into FSM, what if we reached out to them rather than waiting on them to have to reach out to us? 
and we just begin to engage in a, in a small group kind of conversation, but also get some individual conversations going on. So she prayed, they prayed, they reached out. This thing is happening. It's a beautiful picture that these girls, they're middle schoolers, but they get this. And here's what's gonna happen. As they are doing life together inside the church, I guarantee you we're going to see some fruit outside the church because those little girls are going to go to school and go to their activities and go to their neighbors on mission. It's going to be a beautiful thing. I can't wait to see how that plays out. So that's where we're headed, guys. That's what this next year looks like. It will obviously take on a lot more form uh, with details as we go. Um, but it is a strategic offensive. It is an insurrection against the kingdom of darkness. And I want to close with uh, just a quick word from one of my favorite authors, a guy named Erwin McManus. He wrote a book, uh, this little book in 2005. It's called The Barbarian Way. It's one of my favorites. I highly recommend it. But listen to what he says about uh, being in the kingdom of light. The invitation of Jesus is a revolutionary call to fight for the heart of humanity. We are called to an unconventional war using only the weapons of faith, hope, and love. Nevertheless, this war has no less danger, is no less dangerous than any war ever fought. And for those of us who would embrace the cause of Christ, the cost to participate in the mission of God is nothing less than everything we are and everything we have. So we get a great opportunity today at the beginning of a new ministry year. This is our so what for today. We get to prayerfully, by grace, answer the call. And we get to be a church that's on mission like never before in the year ahead. You guys in? All right, stand with me. Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, I thank you that um, there was a time when you sent someone to us. We were living the corrupted life and then you brought to us the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the one true king. And uh, we thank you for that. And so now, Father, as we strive to live a connected life, I pray that you would connect us outward with the mission in a beautiful way. Help us to uh, embrace this as the core of life, not just uh, something on the fringe. Lord, accomplish your purposes in us and through us. Be honored. And we look forward to the day when you do bring your kingdom in its fullness. Until then, help us to be faithful. I pray that in Christ's name, amen.